Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Now, relevant is something that we could debate based on today's topic. Today, our guests will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We can argue about whether it's a relevant topic, maybe at the end of the show. But joining us today will be orthopedic surgeon Dr. Tim Malay. He's going to try to help us make sense of all the injury reports that you see ahead of, get this, the fantasy football season. Yes, I I don't know about anybody else, but late August, some people are infatuated with back-to-school sales. <laughs> we homeschool, uh, so that's not my jam. In, in the Malali house, it's fantasy football season. And uh, for, for me, I'm the oldest of nine. I've got eight younger siblings. They're all scattered to the winds. And so this is something that we always do as a family every year. And it's a kind of a, a fun way to stay in touch with folks. But, you know, I was thinking as fantasy football is coming along, this is really a medical issue. <laughs> and so I said, what a great way to, uh, to kind of talk about some of the things that fantasy football players are thinking about this time of year. Yeah, so listeners, you know, it, whether you play fantasy football or maybe your spouse or other uh, loved one plays fantasy football, you can, after this show, impress them with your newfound expertise and all things injury related to fantasy football. That's but, right. you know, I got to admit, I don't know much about fantasy football. One of my sons uh, spent a period of time where he was pretty much obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> but maybe we could start with helping listeners, if you'll give just a quick primer on what exactly is fantasy football. Right. So this is all um, based off the American National Football League for the most part. And it's regular people who sign up to play sometimes just for one week sometimes uh, more commonly I'd say for the whole season and you'll play against your friends but you will quote unquote draft your own football team <laughs> and you might take the the quarterback from the Patriots and the running back from the Vikings and that type of thing uh, I'm a Lions fan I don't take a lot of Lions players historically maybe more this year um, <laughs> but basically you you piecemeal together this team and based on the the individual players performance in their actual games in their actual games yeah. um, we'll see how your team stacks up against your friends team there's a point system, and then ultimately, you know, major bragging rights in the Molly household. <laughs> we even have a little traveling trophy. You know, we've been doing this. We've been doing this for about ten years. Um, I know it's been around longer than that, and I'd say growing in popularity. Well, now in some office circles, there's a fair amount of money on the line for fantasy football. Leagues. Yeah, a lot of people find this is a good vehicle for gambling. <laughs> for for us, uh, there's no amount of money that would be worth the honor of beating your brothers in oh. fantasy football. So for us, it's very much a, a, a pride and an honor thing. And uh, I don't know, it's, it works out really well for, we like it because we can stay in touch remotely and kind of have a, a nice thing to talk to each other about on a sure. weekly basis. <clears throat> so now your actual, let's say your running back that you chose, scores a touchdown in his actual game that weekend. Right. How, how do you get how do you know if you get his touchdown score or not? Yep, you're credited for the, the good things that he does and penalized for the bad things. Ah. And there's a prearranged, kind of most of the time, standardized scoring system. Yeah. So, so it's all about picking, which is relevant to our topic. Right. And so this, I'm, I'm kind of tipping my hand a little bit to my siblings, but, you know, one <laughs> of the things every year, everybody's working with the same information to pick a team. Uh who performed well last year? Who are we excited about? Well, one of the things I always looked at was their health history. Yeah. Uh, I can't get around it. And so a lot of times you're put in these quandaries where folks have you know, traditionally performed well but suffered an injury towards the end of last season. Yeah. Or maybe they're plagued with injury, so when they're playing, they're great, but you know they're going to be out for at least half the year. How do you make those decisions? And there's a lot of terms that get tossed around during football season, mm. orthopedic-type terms that are kind of, you know, pe people are not super familiar with them. Some of them were not a major part of my training, yeah. and that's why I'm glad Tim's here. Well, I mean, this part's not fantasy. I, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, when I lived in a large urban town, I'll not say the name of the town because it'll give away the team, but there was a family physician like you and a radiologist partner, and they started a company um, 
looking at actual professional football football and basketball players in this particular town trying to screen them for either non non reported injuries or the potential to get injured based on their health history oh, which wow. is exactly what you're describing well this it worked out really well for me in the covid year mm. because part of the the whole covid thing if somebody got COVID, they had to sit out 10 days. Right. That's two games. Big penalty. Yeah. And so I screened for people who already had COVID before the season started. <laughs> and uh, I, I did well that year. You nice. know? So we'll see if, if anybody else benefits from this knowledge. And so hopefully for our usual listeners, if you're not a fantasy football lover, you can share it with someone you know who is. And uh, they hopefully will find it helpful before their draft. So a lot about football injuries is is mainly is going to be of an orthopedic variety. Yes. Uh, and so listeners, what we're going to do is load you with skills on understanding what injuries, what type of orthopedic injuries that affect real football players so that in theory, you could make a better selection of your fantasy football league. I mean, this may be the most valuable episode we've ever done. <laughs> that's that's right. It's definitely a different flavor, but uh, I've been excited for it. So we'll, uh, I guess we'll dive into the trivia question. Absolutely. Let's have it. It's uh, it's fantasy football related for, for folks, especially who, who are not super familiar. Question simple. How many people play fantasy football in America? Oh. How big of a deal is this? You will have to listen to the end of the episode to hear the answer here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back today on Dr. Doctor with Dr. Tim Malay. Tim is a newly retired uh, orthopedic spine surgeon from Davenport, Iowa. He was the CMA chairman of the Healthcare Policy Committee, actually current chairman, I believe. And he's also putting together the annual meeting that's taking place in Phoenix this fall, uh, right after Labor Day weekend. He's been married to Beth for 43 years with five children. And how many grandchildren now, Tim? Uh, we're at 15 and count. Well, counting, we're kind of on hold right now. I don't think we'll get to 20. I don't think, but, but 15. 15. What a blessing. Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, gentlemen. This is a pleasure. I've been excited about about this conversation for some time. Yeah. I, did you think it was kind of a crazy idea? I know I pitched this to you a couple months ago. What do, What do you know about fantasy football? Um, I know that I'm terrible at it. Uh, I know that. I had my full disclosure. Um, I have not been involved in a fantasy football league for maybe four years, five years or so, because I distinctly remember when I did it, it reminded me of in my younger years when I said, oh, I can do the stock market. I don't need a broker. And I realized, no, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not only as frustrating, it's, it's almost as disturbing for me. It, it, I have a fragile ego. And, <laughs> and I, my, my sons got me involved in it. I have three sons. And, and I, they asked me why I backed out for the next year. And I said, I, I'm an older man. I only have so many heartbeats left and I'm not going to waste them on this. Yeah. <laughs> this fair. is too much, too much uh, aggravation. It's funny. That's exactly how I would describe golf. <laughs> um, but that's for another yeah. day that's another day that's right <laughs> and it takes a whole day to play golf that's another problem yeah, yeah that's, that's, right. that's totally true well we we appreciate you coming on especially uh, with your orthopedic expertise tell us you've you've done some sideline uh, orthopedic work in the past right correct how how often in a game would you see an injury that you'd go out there for would you say most football games yeah, in general, every every football game, and this was a uh, uh, higher level, the highest level high school games, and some small college football that we covered, and uh, essentially every game you're going out on the field at mm. least once. It's unusual that you don't, which is really the nature of American style football. Yeah. It's I always love George Will's description of football. George Will is a huge baseball fan. And he doesn't like football. He describes football as the worst of American culture. It's violence <laughs> interrupted by committee meetings. <laughs> and that's, but that's football. And I love the sport. I played the sport and it, it, but you really, that's the, the risk that goes with it. Fortunately, the majority of the injuries, 90% of them, it was go out, check on them, bring them out, check them out and they're able to go mm. back in. But we would occasionally get an injury that maybe once or twice a season, an injury had to go to the hospital yeah. you know, from the game. But those were, were fortunately rather unusual. I mean, it's interesting 
I don't think anyone could argue that football is not uniquely it, it's a part of the American culture. Yeah. And but until you start really thinking about it, I don't think people appreciate how brutal of a game it is yeah. by its very design. I mean, the game is designed for a bunch of large athletic men to smash into each other. Um, as fast as they can. <laughs> right, right. You know, my kids are pretty malignant about their soccer love. Yeah. And people crash into each other playing soccer, but not by design. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of on the off thing. But football is designed for two moving objects to hit each other, uh, as you said, as, as hard as they can. So I guess really it's miraculous there's not more injuries. That, that's correct. And, and the, the history of football, if you go back to the early 20th century, I think it was during Teddy Roosevelt's administration, they were averaging a football, a college football fatality at least once a month. Oh, my. Oh, wow. And uh, even Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the, the guy who wanted to go out and wrestle bears, you know, even Teddy said, I th- we've got to do something about this, you know, because they had no headgear. And right. it was exactly the same type of uh, motivation go fast, hit hard, you know, and uh, uh, people were dying. And I've heard people say rugby is just football without helmets. But I don't think that's true. I'm certainly no rugby fan, you know, fan or expert. But they don't smash into each other intentionally at full speed, head first. That's not what they do. Well, it's it's definitely one of the things where, you know, my kids are, are, are too young. They're more in the soccer uh, phase and the football phase per se, but you know, football is what's on TV when you turn on the TV at all over the weekend. Right. And so naturally, I mean, you just it is part of the culture, um, and it's it's impressive a lot of the things that they've done to try and make it safer. Right. We're not there yet, um, but they're working on it. And yeah. you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of the whole fantasy football angle is interesting because you've got a bunch of experts sitting at home on their couch watching TV. Uh, not playing football, but trying to judge how these guys are going to play football. Um, when sometimes, you know, especially uh, the folks who who gamble on this, it's it's a pretty big industry. Uh-huh. You know, our our goal is obviously just kind of as a a canvas to talk about these orthopedic problems, but hopefully to shed some light on them too, because there's a lot of terms that get thrown around that. We, we don't naturally see these injuries in daily mm. life for other people. These are more athletic-type mm. injuries. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on, Tim. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you can help us for everybody who's sitting at home trying to diagnose the injury before we get the report. <laughs> uh, you can give us some tips maybe. Right, right, what to look out for. Yeah. So one one of the most confusing ones, and I, I wanted to kind of go in order of the things that are most confusing a little bit, <laughs> uh, this idea of turf, turf toe. toe. <laughs> yes. You hear about turf toe, and fantasy football uh, observers will know that's a very bad sign mm. because it, it seems to linger. What is turf toe, Tim? Yeah, turf toe, if, if basically, if my thumb is my big toe, and you'll see guys that are – they're being tackled and somebody lands on their heel, their toes on the ground, and the big toe gets hyperextended. Mm. It goes up. It doesn't curl under the foot. It goes way up. And what a turf toe is, it involves that joint at the base of the toe, of the big toe. And a grade one, grade, they're graded very much like sprains. A grade one or grade two, not so bad. A grade three is where the ligaments, the tendons, the structures on the bottom side of that joint are torn Mm -hmm. and for running backs particularly wide receivers to some extent but running backs because it's every play that they're going to cut and turn Mm -hmm. a running back or a wide receiver may not have to run a route so for running backs it's it's a lot more significant occasionally Mm -hmm. it's not terribly common to have a surgical procedure for those grade threes they're they're because of the shoe wear that can be customized and orthotics put into the shoes, you know, for example, when we'd see a player with, with a turf toe injury, we would get a carbon fiber insert, very rigid insert, so they can push off of that. So they're not as likely to lead to an extended period of time off, or time out of playing as they used to be. Oh, but good. they they can be. There have been some cases where it's been kind of a season-ending injury for someone who's just on the cusp wow. of being on an NFL team. Is you this, know, oh, I was just going to say, you remind me just by the by the title, 
turf, the turf and turf toe. For all of these injuries that we're going to discuss, do you have an opinion about grass versus artificial turf? There's not many grass stadiums left. That's right. But is there is there some truth into the more prone injury on artificial turf versus grass? What what are your feelings there? I came of age uh, at the time that, you know, AstroTurf was, you know, where you went. And uh, that that was going to be the wave of the future. But that was one of the concerns was, are you going to have more injuries? Mm. Go back to the 80s, maybe early 90s. There was some data that raised that suspicion but I don't think it's been proven out. The the synthetic turf that has been developed and the padding underneath it is a very close mimic to natural turf. So my head tells me it's nothing to worry about. It doesn't seem to be statistically uh, worrisome. My heart tells me, go play in the mud. I mean, <laughs> you've got to come out of a game with grass stains and mud on all over you. It's That's what football is about. But that's a grumpy old traditionalist speaking. <laughs> well, that's actually, that's a good question because you do hear players talking about that sure. a lot too. Mm-hmm. So with, with the turf toe, I guess, when when somebody suffers an injury like that, how long would we expect them to have to be out of play? Right, and and again, it goes back to that grading system. Whereas you know, a grade uh-huh. one typically, um, uh, the player can still continue. They may it may hinder their performance a little bit, but not to a significant degree. A grade two, it could be anywhere from out for a week, maybe three weeks or so. A grade three. If it's if it's bad enough to be a surgical procedure, well, that could be season ending. Uh-huh. I mean, just to allow for adequate recovery. But that if it's just treated without surgery, it could be four weeks, six weeks or so. And, and then the decision becomes: when do you get them back to play? Right. You know, that's right. when the player wants to play, and the trainer says you still have a gimp. When you run at full speed, you still have a gimp, and they've got their stopwatches out. And if there's any little any little delay from their baseline, they'll say, "No, your your forty is still a tenth of a second too slow." You're so not if you're ready. if you're wow. choosing a fantasy football player and you hear he's got a grade three turf toe, you might want to yep. make another choice. Let him let him drop. Let yeah. him drop. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody has a turf toe, are they getting more prone to get it in the future? Or not necessarily. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce that question off what Chris just said too. If you're looking at a player to draft that had a turf toe last season, yeah, okay, th- this is where I used to think oh. baseball was the sport for statisticians. If you look at the fantasy football research for these <laughs> drafts for, for what to do, if you have someone that was on that started 14 or more games last year and they were never on the questionable or doubtful list. That's somebody you want to draft. Uh, yeah. That's somebody who's showing durability. And it, but if you have somebody who was on the questionable or doubtful list two times or more last year, um, it's anywhere from eighty percent to two hundred percent chance they're going to be on the on the list this year too. Wow. wow. And if it's a recurrent injury, you know, turf toe from head to toe, literally concussions, turf toe, everything in between. If it's a recurrent injury, that draft likability should drop a little bit more. If if you have a player that's had five injuries in five years, but they're all separate body parts, and especially if none required surgery, that's somebody to pay attention to. Mm. It's the the recurring injuries uh-huh. that become uh, that really should be lead to that hesitation. Wow. Now, you mentioned it, uh, the other end of the body, concussions. Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot of publicity, a lot of press. I'll bet you see young athletes in your practice that uh, the, the parents have concussion questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've certainly had it in our family. But um, shed some light on concussion uh, as a football injury, Tim. Yeah, and, and it is indeed. It, it, it needs to have that attention paid to it. And, and things are getting better. The understanding of it, uh, the debates about it are becoming a little clearer, but there's still m- much that we, we don't really understand. Um, as, far as, as far as the force required to get a concussion, the first time a concussion happens, that is – that's if it's significant to cause a concussion. Okay, then you've got to reassess that. You got to assess that player, mm. and they've got to clear all the tests. And from high school to the NFL, um, every organization, every football organization is very um, 
specific about what do you do. So it's kind of hard to have a player who can say, you know, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm, I, I don't know where I am, but I'm fine. <laughs> there, there's plenty of physical exam and mental tests and all of that. But the, the downside of having a first time concussion is that not only are subsequent concussions more likely each subsequent concussion is is going to require less force wow. imparted. So a low a lower force blow to the head can lead to just as bad of a concussion as the first one did. And that is kind of a there's a point of diminishing returns when you see someone that's had three, four concussions, even over a four or five year period, they're being advised you've you've got to stop. You know, this is uh, pretty soon you're going to get out of the car and hit your head on the door frame and have a concussion. And wow. what, what's this phenomenon, Tim, of the, the so-called second hit um, when someone suffers a concussion and then before it's resolved, they're hit again? Yeah. And that's why the precautions about going back to play when everything, there is no doubt they are ready to go. No sure. doubt they've cleared every test, every examination, adequate time. Because even with that, those precautions, though, the data indicates that a lesser amount of force can lead to mm. a second concussion. Yeah. So, you know, we see occasional players that will have one concussion and they'll say, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm not uh, going to risk it any longer, right. which wow. I can't argue with. Yeah. With, I guess, one, one of the questions I get a lot from, from people, you know, just patients in general is, everybody's talking about concussions really the last five, 10 years. Um, for somebody who maybe played football growing up, what what about their kids? Is this something that we can still encourage for the youth? Are the safety mechanisms good enough now? What do you think? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad my kids are grown and gone. <laughs> and um, they have not asked, my oldest grandson played football last year. He was at eight. So there's, you know, when you're 65 pounds, it's hard to generate a lot of force. You don't get the train wrecks like you do in, in high school and beyond. But I, I love the game. I love to watch the game. And, uh, you know, if I'm flipping through the channels uh, and uh, there is a game on, uh, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm just I'm going to go get a bag of chips and I'm going to watch a game. <laughs> so but I, I really I, I've struggled with that myself. Do I want my grandchildren mm, right. to play football? Now, fortunately, my grandchildren are big. They're they're all like 95th, 99th percentile height weight. My grandsons are, for that matter. So maybe they will. I certainly wouldn't take that away from them. It should be their choice with their parents' discretion. Um, but if they elect to defer, um, we always it, statistically, at least in my practice in the clinic I was in with 20-some orthopedic surgeons, we would see as many injuries from in soccer players as we did in football players uh, but that's kind of skewed because soccer can be an end a year-round sport mm. indoors outdoors right and it's a bigger cross-section of players mm. there's only you know by the time you get to high school level where the injuries occur high school football players it's it's a relatively small population for injuries to come from whereas with soccer it's much it's a, a uh. much bigger population Interesting. Yeah. Well, you're a spinal surgeon. Let's move down the body a little mm -hmm. bit and talk to us about spinal injuries, whether that's the lumbar spine or the cervical spine or anything in between. Yeah, the cervical spine clearly is the, uh, that's where the biggest worries are. And we're all familiar going back to, gosh, Daryl Stingley, uh, Back in the 70s, I think it was, Rutgers had a player here a few years ago. Uh, I know there was a Mississippi State player back in the 90s, I believe. And so the sp cervical spinal cord injuries, uh, if it's a cord injury. Now, getting spinal cord or spinal fractures mm -hmm. um, without a spinal cord injury, in the neck, they they happen. Uh, there's a an injury put your hand on the base of your neck and you feel the most prominent bone back there. And that's what we call a spinous process of the seventh cervical vertebra. And if you have a very forceful bending forward of the head, the ligaments that attach there can pull the tip of that bone off. Mm. 
Um, traditionally, it's called a clay shoveler's fracture, but that goes back to the 18th century. Guys that were shoveling heavy clay would bend mm. over and that thing would pop off. Um, so that is something that is not that is not inherently dangerous as far as the spinal cord is confirmed is is concerned. Um, beautiful study. This has been 25 maybe years ago. University of Iowa. They did a single X-ray of every freshman football player when they, they before their first season started. Every single one of them had some arthritic changes in their neck. Wow. So these are 18 year olds. Wow. And that's just an indication if they're good enough to play at a division one level, they've, they've been taking lots of hits over the years and that early degenerative arthritis is there. Mm -hmm. So occasionally you'll have players that will have a cord injury and after the fact find out they have a, a spinal stenosis, the canal for the spinal cord is too narrow and it doesn't have one, one injury too much and the spinal cord gets, gets compressed and they end up with, a, an incomplete spinal cord injury or a complete spinal cord injury. Lumbar spine is not as much of an issue um, in the skill players, particularly, and especially with the quarterbacks. The reason they look like they've got, you know, got a big uh, six pack around here. Well, <laughs> like a 12 pack, they're wearing their flak jacket uh -huh. and that goes all the way around to the back. If, if you look at injuries that will um, set a quarterback uh, performance off back injuries are one of them if they've got a back injury their performance is going to be going to be hindered significantly if they continue playing after that until they've recovered from that I feel like we hear sometimes about like facet fractures in the mm -hmm. quarterbacks but they'll keep playing what's the story there is that just uh, since it's it's not involving the court it's okay to continue playing if they if they can well Peyton if they, years ago remember he purportedly played with a neck you know, a cervical spine fracture for season after season. I think he had surgery a few times for Colts fans and later, you know, mm -hmm. Bulls fans, uh, Buffalo yeah. Bills fans. Yeah. 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 And it, it, there are some fractures that can be played with if the pain level is not su too severe. Mm. A facet joint fracture in the lumbar spine, that's a, that's a painful injury. That mm. can, now, I should clear, clarify this. You, there can be longstanding stress fractures. Mm. And, and they, they occur in the lumbar spine as someone who's been particularly doing a lot of weightlifting over the years or a lot of hyperextension. Extremely, if you do an x-ray of Olympic gymnasts, particularly the girls, every one of them is going to have a stress fracture. I, I'm put, that's one thing I'd put money on wow. because they have been, they've been competing at that level for so long. But the, the other injury in the lumbar spine is a transverse process fracture. And if you look at at an x-ray or a model of the lumbar spine from the back, you see these little things sticking out to the side that look like handlebars on a bike. Mm -hmm. That That's where muscles attach. And if those get broken, from, usually from a direct hit, a helmet to the back, uh, if, if one of those is broken, that's very difficult to play with. Mm, wow. uh, I probably saw three or four of those over the years in high school players. and. They did not leave the game under their own power, and it wow. took them a few weeks to get back. Well, Tim, we've made it to halftime of this show about fantasy football. I like it. So uh, we better head to the locker room. We'll be <laughs> right back after the break to talk more about fantasy football injuries. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and welcome to our discussion with Dr. Tim Millay about uh, football injuries, or more specifically, orthopedic injuries that should help you make better choices for a fantasy football league of your own, or team of your own, I should say. So we've covered, Tim, a lot of big stuff. Let's go to uh, sprains, if you will. I mean, I think that's a phrase that lay people hear a lot, and it gets used a lot. But more specifically, I think related to, to our topic, um, ankle sprains or so-called high ankle sprains. What do people mean when they say that? What's going on there? Yeah, uh, I always smile when I hear high ankle sprains. Now, uh, uh, full disclosure, I'm here in Iowa and a legendary coach at the University of Iowa, Hayden Fry, um, everybody had a high ankle sprain. <laughs> if you watch, you watch the game and the guy came out holding his elbow, after the game, Hayden would say, uh, it's a bad high ankle sprain. <laughs> Everybody had a, he just couldn't be evasive enough. But, it, and there's a really interesting contrast in those injuries. An ankle sprain 
typically on the outer side of the ankle, really where it connects to the foot. There's a ligament there. The abbreviation is the ATFL, but it is uh, right in front and below the bump on the outside of the ankle. So when you roll your ankle in, that's the one that takes the hit. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that hurts like crazy for a while. It gets purple and big and just mm -hmm. ugly looking. But those are manageable. They can be taped or braced. And you may miss some time depending on how bad the sprain is. Well, to, now, to interrupt you, maybe we mm -hmm. should say, what exactly is a sprain? It's not a right. fracture, but what exactly is that? What's happening? Yeah, a sprain is an injury. Uh, the, the old term in, in, in uh, orthopedics is sprain, strains, and occasional pains. Uh, what a, what a, a, a sprain is where the, the ligament or tendon is pulled but not completely apart oh, okay. so that would be like what we would term as a grade two mm -hmm. so if you have an ankle sprain of that ligament the atfl the, the fibers are pulled apart but not completely separated okay. and they they can heal they're still in the neighborhood they can they can make the magic happen the collagen fibers reorganize mm -hmm. and, and they get better now contrast that with a high ankle sprain which is just above the ankle joint itself the two bones that come down the leg, the tibia and the fibula, the tibia is the shin bone, the fibula is the bone on the outside, just above the ankle joint, there are ligaments that hold those two together. So it is higher than an ankle uh -huh. sprain would be. That can be injured as well. And the, the paradox is a high ankle sprain is more painful than, usually more painful than a regular ankle sprain. It is not nearly as impressive looking if you look at it physically, it's not that much bruise, maybe a little swollen, but not as ugly as an ankle sprain. And it takes longer to recover from that. Mm -hmm. And that's particularly true. High ankle sprains for the, the, the wide receivers particularly, and similarly for running backs, where you got to plant that foot, rotate, and, and change directions. That's why they have so much difficulty because of the acceleration and, and directional changes they require. Oh. And if somebody has one of those, are they prone to get it again or not necessarily if they heal completely? Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much for any any injury that is enough to keep somebody out of a game, whether during that game or subsequent games, once it's happened, I, I don't want to use the damaged goods terminology, but your you know, it's like getting a new, a new fender on a car. Once it's been dented, well, you know, is the, is the new fender going to be as good? You always have that question. Right. Same thing with these players. So original, the original, before the injury, you have good, healthy, all American ligament fibers. After that injury, it's healed. You go back to play. You have those good, healthy, all American fibers. But there's also areas where there's scar tissue right. that's formed yeah. to help it heal. And the scar tissue will never measure up to what the original was. Mm. So there, therefore, it's just like with concussions. It takes less force, uh, less contact uh, or torque on a joint to cause it to be injured again. So if you're looking at two running backs, one with a sprain history, one without... You better go with the uh, the no injury yeah. history. And this yeah. that's a lay, uh, nagging injury too, right? Where that how many weeks would that last normally? Yeah, if you had a high ankle sprain, there are some that are well, not so much nowadays, but in years past they were they could be season ending, rarely career ending. There is a, a procedure that can be done, a very simple procedure, uh, well, simple for the surgeon, but for the for the player where there is an implant that can be used. What happens is those two bones, the tibia and the fibula, can spread apart Ooh. because those ligaments are disrupted. And there is an implant that can be placed to pull them back together where they oh. should be. Now, that it has held up. Uh, there was a quarterback at Iowa um, four or five years ago or so that had that done. He was out for a couple of weeks. But that's kind of the exception to the rule. Uh, most high ankle sprains are going to be at least a couple weeks, maybe up to six weeks or a few so. Games or a season. Yeah. Yeah. At late in the season, you got a team that's in the playoffs. You know that they they're in the postseason. You got to you know, that that could be it. Dump them and get somebody on the waivers. <laughs> that's always that's right. the question. Somebody gets injured week four. You really liked them. High ankle sprain. Mm. I got to let them go. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's business. Unfortunately, if it's if it's if it's not their first. If it's their first, 
maybe, maybe stick with him, depending on what your backup is like, too. Mm-hmm. But if you look back at two seasons, three seasons before, and they had that injury, yeah, um, you know, you may want to think twice Watch about out, keeping them. Man. Well, we've got to move up the leg and be impossible to talk about sports injuries without talking about knees, right? Every everybody knows about knee injuries. Oh yeah, especially Detroit Lions fans because <laughs> our our current management, which I I'm excited about, uh, I think we've got a good chance this year. The Lions really like to draft guys who tore their ACL in college. Um, we've got like a, a track record now, and it's developing, so it remains to be seen. But yeah, everybody talks about the ligaments. How how big of a deal is it if somebody had an ACL a year ago? Are they going to come back? You know. Yeah. If 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 I'm if I'm an NFL player, and I have lots of zeros on my paycheck, and but I have to have a knee ligament injury. I'm probably going to take an ACL. Really? I'll take wow. the ACL because so the that's reconstruction. A counter, it's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? It is. It is because that's the. I mean, that's the most common one. That's the. Mm-hmm. That's the big gorilla when you're talking about knee ligament injuries. But that's because it, it is more common than the others, uh, as far as severe ligament injuries, t- complete tears, and also we're still got that leftover from ten years ago and more. You know, before ACL reconstructions became as predictable and the rehab became as effective as it is now, it was, oh my gosh, it's an ACL. Now what are we going to do? So the really, if you look at the the anatomy of the knee, there's, there's four primary ligaments. There's the ACL and the PCL, anterior cruciate ligament, posterior cruciate ligament, cruciate meaning cross, because inside the knee, they cross like this. So the anterior here, posterior here. And then you have the medial and lateral collateral ligaments, MCL, LCL. Mm-hmm. If if you have a player you're looking at drafting, but you notice last year they had an MCL and particularly a PCL, and even if it wasn't treated surgi- surgically, but if it was a complete tear, mm-hmm. you might want to avoid that player. Mm-hmm. Because the ACL is smaller in thickness than the MCL and the PCL. And the thicker a ligament is, the longer it takes to heal and somewhat less predictable as wow. far as the healing is concerned. So if you, there is a, an injury called the terrible triad of, of knee injuries, which is a medial meniscus tear, the ACLs torn and the MCLs tear. It, 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 that's an all you can eat buffet for knee injuries. <laughs> but if the MCL wasn't was the least injured of those three, you're probably okay taking taking that player. Man, yeah, the knee injuries. I don't know why it's just the acronyms or something that make it easy for us to remember. But that's surprising to me that the ACL. I guess yeah, it happens so often. Y'all have gotten really good at fixing them. Yeah, you know. And if you notice, every blessing. offensive lineman, college and uh, NFL professional. They all have knee, knee braces on. Right. I know in some, because, some high school programs, they're mandatory preventative measures. Correct. Right. And there's some there's some data and that um, there was a, a New Mexico high school study from maybe 10, 12 years ago that there was an increase in ankle injuries in players that were mandated to wear knee braces. Wow. And uh, I, I've not seen that repeated, but oh. that's something to consider as well. So for parents of high school and younger athletes, uh, their soccer player, their basketball player, football player, gets a torn ACL, it's not necessarily the end of sports. They're going to have surgery. They're going to have a recovery. But listening to you, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily the, the sports kiss of death. That's, and particularly, um, I, would, I would generally say the younger they are at the time of the injury. Now, if you have a, a young man or young lady that is not done growing yet and they've torn their ACL, mm. There's a real, there's a concern about operating on them at that point in time because Mm -hmm. their growth plates are not closed yet. They still have some growing to do and drilling the hole for the ACL graft to be, to go into can, can inhibit, can disrupt the growth of that leg. Mm. But a lot of it depends upon what other damage may occur within the knee. Mm. If, if a meniscus tear occurs and it's severe, well, there there are some, there are plenty of people out there that had an ACL tear that have early onset degenerative arthritis, not mm. because the ACL because it was repaired, but because their meniscus was uh, was injured and damaged. Man, 
Well, Tim, as, as we're going through, there's obviously unlimited injuries. <laughs> Another one I wanted to touch on briefly, at least, was um, just kind of muscle injuries. You know, somebody pulls a quad or a hammy, that type of thing. How should we evaluate those injuries? Yeah, those, when it comes to those soft tissue injuries, sometimes those can be not just more more significant to the player's performance, but also more lingering. Mm. You know, you can, you can break a bone and a bone can heal because bone can reconstitute itself. But with muscle, you've got similar thing we talked about with ligaments. You've got scar tissue that's trying to heal it back together. And scar tissue um, is not, not only does it not have the, the tensile strength to hold things together, it also um, doesn't contract, it doesn't stretch like normal muscle would. So if you have someone that has um, torn a hamstring muscle or a hamstring tendon for that matter, or took a direct helmet to the quads, to the muscle on the front of the thigh, I mean, those are extremely painful injuries. Mm. Uh, you, you'll watch that player just drop like a rock on the field. And um, one of the concerns about the quads injuries is if it's if there's bleeding in the interior of the muscle that's not recognized, mm. over time that, that hematoma, that collection of blood, organizes and, and can literally calcify. Uh. And you'll see on an x-ray some months later, this white cotton ball looking area in there, that's a very difficult thing to recover from. Mm. Um, you know, maybe it's me, but I feel like I've noticed in the NFL anyway, that many of the players are not wearing those quadricep pads. Yeah. I know when I played little league football, we had these massive pads on our legs, but I'm sure it slows them down. And so those that are paid for speed will maybe sacrifice <laughs> sacrifice safety for speed. Yeah, it's it's tough, you yeah. know, and you see, I'm thinking of the tight ends. They're always, you know, and the receivers getting hit in the air. I'm yeah. like, those quads, that's rough. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah, I, I'm with you, Chris, in football, you know, we had knee pads that went over the kneecap. Right. We had knee pad or we had thigh pads that went on the front. Sure. Now, I was not fleet of foot. Um, there, there was a reason I was a down lineman on my football team. I needed all the help I could get. And nobody expected me to go fast anyway. Yeah. So, but now when I, wa I watch those players and I'm thinking, no, they're, they're just wearing cutoff shorts. I mean, they're, they're, they're really, maybe the hip pads are there. They've got those, but from, much from that point down, they're, they're, fr they're open game. Man. Well, I guess one, one other area we haven't touched on yet is the shoulder. Mm. And, I mean, there's a million shoulder-type injuries, but one of the things I feel like we hear about routinely is a dislocated shoulder, um, especially for a ball handler, uh, running back. Quarterbacks. Or quarterback. Hit with their arm in the air, sure. How big is a dislocated shoulder in, in terms of especially people who handle the ball? Yeah, if you're looking at, uh, and, and particularly quarterbacks with this, yeah. A dislocated shoulder, a first-time dislocated shoulder, in general, is maybe up to three months or so, because if it's a first-time injury, now that will depend a lot on, on the, the evaluation. MRI is done, and if they see that there's a tear of the capsule of the shoulder, mm -hmm. um, most of the military academies, even for their cadets that are not in sports, if they have one-time shoulder dislocation, most of the time they will recommend an operation because wow. these are the guys and gals that are going to go in the military. They're going to be in combat, and right. they need to have a reliable shoulder. Hmm. So sometimes a surgery is maybe the appropriate step for a first-time dislocation. The issue becomes um, if, it, if it happens, again, just like every other injury that we've talked about. But one of the caveats that I think is very interesting, it, it's uh, maybe a... a little little secret for draft uh, uh, wisdom here uh, there are there's some I would I would like to stay, say statistics let's just say there is an observation <laughs> that before you draft a quarterback look at the offensive linemen that are going to be protecting him if they have shoulder injuries mm. don't draft that quarterback uh -huh. because if you watch an offensive lineman He's doing this the whole time. Mm -hmm. Everything is starting from the legs, but working through the shoulders. He's getting hands out in front of him. So you want to be able to make sure you've got linemen that have shoulders that can protect. I mean, they're all 300 plus pounds. So, <laughs> but if the shoulders aren't working well, they're not going to provide protection for that quarterback. So assess the offensive line 
before you draft your quarterback. And if you have a quarterback that's had a history of a shoulder dislocation or any other shoulder injury for that matter, uh, within the preceding season or two, Mm. well, get a good backup, have a good backup ready to go. Who has two clean shoulders? I love it. Tim, this this is our two minute warning. <laughs> Chris, what what else should we ask? You know, I I think Tim, you have loaded us up with some uh, some game changing information here. Uh, I think our listeners are going to be much better much better drafters. But yeah, I guess I would say to you as we wind things up, any other uh, telltale injuries that if you were in charge of drafting, you would make those really big red flags. Yeah, I will tell you, if I have a player on my team that tears their deltoid tendon uh-huh. or their pectoralis tendon, the big chest muscle here, oh yeah, those are, uh, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking to pick somebody else up. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, he's off my team. Uh, I, that is a very, very difficult injury. I could say that almost for Achilles tendon ruptures, I mean, a completely torn Achilles tendon. For the rest of that season, yes. But coming back, you know, it used to be a year to get back if they were going to come back. Wow. Well, now we're seeing people, some of the players, elite athletes coming back at six months wow. or so after Achilles. But if you watch him, particularly if it's a basketball player, football, well, if the pants in football are up high enough, you look at those two legs on TV, you know which one they tore, that calf muscle. It, I mean, wow. it, in relative terms compared to their other leg, it shriveled. It looks like they got a repl- the wrong replacement put on because wow. it's a tiny little calf muscle. But it, it can rehab. It can rehab. And there's, there's plenty of players out there after Achilles repairs that have been back to near their previous performance level. Well, Tim Millay, uh, retired orthopedic surgeon <laughs> and fantasy football uh, expert, yeah. thank you so much for joining us I, here on Dr. I'm going to keep you on speed dial in case I have any <laughs> draft day questions. Yeah, there, there's, the commission isn't that bad. It's like 10%. <laughs> fair, fair. I think we can work it out. But Tim, <laughs> right. thanks, thanks for joining us, Tim. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, thank you. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and welcome to this episode's medical trivia question and answer. Yeah, and uh, basically the, the question was how many people actually play fantasy football, especially I can you know anticipate some of our listeners are like, what is the big deal with this? <laughs> uh, it, it's a pretty big deal. Depending on where you look, some 60 million Americans play fantasy sports, and about 40 million, the, the biggest by far, is the fantasy football. So as a percentage... I'm sorry, I thought you said 40 million. Yeah. It's it's maybe about 12% of the population oh, who's playing. And so um, it's it's a pretty big deal. And so hopefully, uh, listening to this episode, it's going to give you some data. Well, if anybody out there is a marketer, they need to figure out how to market to 40 million Americans. Yeah. Yeah, there's an opportunity. That's right. And uh, this is the time of year for it. So we, we'd encourage you to share it with share the episode with uh, friends and family who are into the fantasy football. Hopefully it can help them. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about a fantasy, but these injuries that, that Tim is talking about and the players that get them are actually real people. Yes. Um, that, that have real jobs and, and, and the real world, and yet they get these injuries. And so... Uh, no matter what we think, we're still a pretty delicate animal. Yeah, no, it's none of these are to be to be taken too lightly. And uh, thank goodness we have people like Tim out there putting everybody back together. Well, as as we wind up this game of fantasy football, um, what do you think? Top three takeaways? Yeah, I there was a couple gems in there that caught <laughs> me by surprise. Um, you know, the the first one was you know not too unexpected, but I was happy to hear him say it. There's always a repeat risk, right? And that's true for for anything. I mean, if you got a sinus infection every November the last three years, you know, you might get another. I'm one. I'm not betting you're going to stay healthy. And yeah. same thing for football injuries. The repeat risk is always there. Yeah, it didn't matter if it was a, a sprain or a tear or whatever. You, you're more likely to get that again. Um, I I think one of the ones that stuck out to me is you know to hear him tell the story. A torn ACL, at least in a mature athlete, yeah. not necessarily career or maybe even season ending. Yeah, that was a shock for me. I, yeah. I, we always think ACL. Okay, that's the kiss of They're death. They're done. But uh, he was like, no, that's maybe one of the ligaments I'd prefer compared to the other ones in the yeah. knee. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you, but I, I was most moved by 
by his concussion discussion. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're talking about an injury to the brain. Um, yeah, it's it's a scary thing, and there's a good reason why it's you know a common topic of conversation. And and I mean, there's I think there's some learning points there too. When all the the medical personnel and the coaches and staff, everybody's taking this seriously. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it's easy as a player or as a fan or a parent, a parent yeah. to, to maybe say, they seem okay to me, yeah. you know. But. He just got his bell rung, to use the old, you know, the old phrase, but it's a, it's a bruise to the brain, and the bruise needs to heal, and if it gets bruised again before it's healed, that could really be permanent injury. So yeah. be nice to those trainers and coaches, parents that are saying, nope, little Johnny can't play for two more games. Yeah, that's it's a stressful thing, but thank goodness we're getting better at that. Yeah, well, thank you for listening. You know, to another episode of Doctor Doctor. We hope that you found it relevant. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how authentically Catholic we were in this episode, but <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we'll make up for it double in the next dose episode. on the next one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, listeners, you can find this episode and all of our old episodes on our website. That's Doctor Doctor. Org. You can click on Episode Archive at the top, and you can search over 300 episodes by topic. And we now offer a video version of our podcast. Just click on the YouTube link near the top of the homepage at drdoctor.org. Tim was showing us some of the things with his hands, so for, for people who are listening, that would be a good way to see that. Also, if you have a question or an idea for an episode, just click where it says Submit a Question. We love good ideas. Well, this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to our text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.